you have your Bibles, would you open with me? We're going to open um, in God's Word to the book of James. James is towards the end of the uh, Scriptures, and this is the brother of Jesus. I want to read a, a verse of Scripture here in the book of James. And as you're turning there, I want to just share with you something that God has put on my heart as we're rounding out this series called Moving Mountains. Over the last three weeks, we've been exploring what does it mean to have a faith-filled prayer life. How many of you have been encouraged as we've shared in the Word together, church family? Have you felt the Lord meet you in a special way? I've heard testimonies, especially last week, as we talked about how you are sustained through the valley, how some of you were walking through valleys, walking through challenges. It was a word in season for right where you are right now in your life. And I'm so thankful that God's Word is living and active and has that ability to meet us right where we are. Well, as we come to the end of this series My prayer is that this would be something that would spur us forward, that would continue to move us towards the future that God has for us. And the title of this message is More Mountains, that I want you to know that it's not just about the one mountain that we might be facing today, that God has more. Someone say more. More mountains. Same way we've been talking about that word more as a theme over this year. As we come to the end of this series, my prayer is that as we spend time in God's word, we will position ourselves in faith to take more mountains in the days, the years, the weeks to come, and that our hearts will ever be ready to step into the more that God has for us. I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come now. Breathe upon this word. Breathe upon it, Lord God. Would you give life to us today, Lord God, by the power of your spirit speaking to to us. Lord, we need to know and understand the truth of who you are and how you've called us to live. So today, Lord, I just hide behind your cross and I ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak this word in power. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In the book of James, we come across uh, James, one of the disciples of Jesus, someone that knew Jesus very well, um, spent significant time with him. In fact, was his own brother, half-brother. He spent time with him, and he pens this letter here that we come across in the New Testament of Scripture towards the end of the Bible. You'll find it there. And in the book of James, um, he shares about the power of faith and the power of prayer. And as you look in chapter 5, you come across a passage of Scripture where he begins to exhort and encourage people on how to pray and how to continually look to the Lord and that when we pray in faith, it's that prayer that God will use to heal and to restore But he comes to verse 16, and I want us to read this, and I want us to hone in here on verse 16. It says this, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We talked about this in the past, that there's a power in preparing the grounds of our heart to receive everything we would receive from the Lord. And part of that, he said, is confessing our sins one to the other. But as we get to the second half, this is where I want us to really hone in this morning. It says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Earnest prayer. Say that with me. Earnest prayer. And then I I honed in on this word, righteous person. Say that with me. Righteous person. So if we're looking for power and wonderful results being produced, he said it's through the earnest prayer of a righteous person. And so when we look at this idea, we're looking at someone who is continually and earnestly going after God. And when I think about that, I love to look at examples in Scripture to say, Lord, show me someone like that, that that I could model my life after, that I could model my faith after, that has that earnest prayer life that's continually running after everything that you have, that lives a life of righteousness unto you. 
And James realized that, and so to those who he's writing to, he wants to give them an example, just like we're going to see today. And he goes to the prophet Elijah. You may have heard of him before. The prophet Elijah is an Old Testament prophet. And look what he says about Elijah. Verse 17, Elijah was as human as we are. Yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. I don't know if anyone else has ever done that. I haven't been able to do that. I haven't been able to get rain to come or go. Then... When he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. So what James does, he takes Elijah. He says, look, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Look at the life of Elijah. That's what James is saying. Because when he prayed, he's flesh and blood just like you and me. Church, we always have to continue to remember that as we hold up the heroes of faith, as we read about people in the Bible, yes, God used them powerfully. Yes, God's anointing was on them. But guess what? They're flesh and blood, just like you and me. Don't think that God can't use you for something significant. That's why we have their example, so that we can step forward in faith and see God do amazing things in and through our lives. Amen? Come on, does someone believe that this morning? That our God is a God who's alive, whose power is on display, who's able to do abundantly more. He said, look, he's human just like us. But as Elijah prayed, God moved. Man, I want to have a prayer life like Elijah's. How about you? I want to see God meet me and move. And that's, that's the desire for what we're going to explore today. We're going to look at the life of Elijah, and we're going to look at four principles, four attributes that I believe as we apply them to our prayer life, they're going to put us in a position where we're continually moving forward into the more that God has for us because there are more mountains on the horizon. You know, a word that God had spoken into my heart and challenged me with as I've been reading through the scripture this year, I found it in Deuteronomy chapter 1. And I feel like it connects to this series, but it also connects to right where we are right now as we're going to look at the life of Elijah because it's his faith that I believe walks in the same way that I want to share with you. In the book of Deuteronomy, God speaks to the people. They're camped out at Mount Sinai at the mountain of God where they'd received the Ten Commandments and the revelation about who God is and he was establishing them as a people. But God wanted to say something to them. It's the same thing that he says to Elijah in a way. It's the same thing that he says to so many people whose life he moves in and moves through. It's to those who stand at the foot of a mountain that maybe God has moved or you're waiting for him to move. God has this word for us. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6. And he says this, when they were at Mount Sinai, the Lord our God said to us, you have stayed at this mountain long enough. It's time to break camp and move on. Go to the hill country of the Amorites. Go to the neighboring regions. Go to the Jordan Valley, the hill country, the western foothills, and Negev to the coastal plain. Catch this here. Go to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon. FYI, Team Lebanon just landed, and they had, they're in the parking lot, I believe, as we were worshiping. So we, I mean, we've seen God fulfilling his word. We've gone to Lebanon, and we just came back, and all the way to the great Euphrates River. So what, what the Lord's saying is, look, don't get caught up here on Mount Sinai. Yes, it's amazing what the Lord has done, but I got more mountains for you to take. I got more places for you to go. And you know what? We have to have a posture in our faith and in our lives if we're going to see God move mountains where we're not caught up in one mountain. We're not camping there for the rest of our lives. Some of us, God's moved a mountain in your past, and it's amazing. Do not forget the goodness of God, but don't live there. 
because he has a new mountain today, and he moved that mountain to prepare you for the next one he's bringing you to. And that's what we're going to see as we look at Elijah, as we study these four characteristics that come out of his life. We see someone who's positioning himself to take the more that God has for him, to move into the more that God has put before him. So if we're looking at this here in, in Elijah's story, just as James said, Elijah prayed that there would be no rain and there wasn't any rain. We find that in, in 1 Kings chapter 17, that he prayed that there would be no rain and he sent word to King Ahab and said, we're going to prove God has said it, there won't be rain. And when he prayed, it stopped raining in all the land. For three and a half years, it didn't rain. And during that time, God was looking to reveal himself. God was using that time to reveal himself to the people, but they couldn't see him. In their desperation, they had turned to all kinds of other gods. They had put their faith in all kinds of other things, and they were worshiping everything but God. It's so backwards and broken, and I feel like our world still hasn't gotten over this, that although we're in church today, in so many ways, all around us, we have people that are worshiping all the wrong kinds of things. They're looking for their sense of worth, their sense of value, their sense of who they are by elevating all this other stuff. Go on social media, go wherever you are, and guess what? Just because we're in church today doesn't mean that we don't fall into those same traps as well, that we lift up all kinds of other stuff. But the first thing I see Elijah doing in his life, this is the first principle that we have to get, church family, is that it wasn't about elevating himself. It wasn't about elevating his stuff. It wasn't about ele the elevation of anything else. Elijah lived for the elevation of God in his life. He wanted God elevated above everything else. Do you know his very name, Elijah, means this, Yahweh is my God. My God is Yahweh. His very identity was God. The Bible says this, that whenever you and I come to Jesus, that we no longer live. Our old life is gone. If we're in Christ now, that we are a new creation. The old has passed. The new has come. He's made us new, and now our lives are meant to be lived to lift up God. Amen? I'm not here to live for myself, for my own pleasure, for my own comfort, but I want to see God elevated in every way. And that's what Elijah's prayer was. In fact, his prayer life, the way that he sought God, the miraculous things we saw God do, were all connected to this idea that he did it all so that God would be lifted up. That was the motivation of his heart. Look what it says here as we find in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 36 through 39. It says, At the usual time of the offering for evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and he prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. Let's stop right there. The prophet Elijah is standing on Mount Carmel. It's a mountain found in Israel. I was able to be there last year with a group of people that went to Israel from Evangel here. We stood on this very mountain. We looked down into the same valley. We saw this place where God showed up in such a powerful way. There's a, there's a lot of things to commemorate that moment that are around there, and there's even a church built there on Mount Carmel that you can go and spend some time just reflecting in. And it's here in this moment that there's a great showdown. It's Elijah versus the prophets of Baal. I was talking to someone after first service, and they said, Pastor, I'm so glad we talked about Elijah because that's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. This is this moment in time where God shows up in such power. It's so amazing what God does in this hour because all these other prophets of all these other gods, you have Baal and Asherah, and there are hundreds of them, at least over 400 of each of those, that gather together, and Elijah says, it's time to quit sitting on a fence. 
It's time to quit going back and forth. It's it's time to stop having one foot in the world and one foot in God's kingdom. It's time for you to make a stand. If God is God, then serve him and worship him. If God is God, then give him all that you are. But if he's not, then go run to whatever else you want to. But quit being half-hearted in this thing. I believe that word carries weight even today, church family. That it's time for us to make up our hearts and minds. Where are we? Are we with God? Are we for him? Are we against him? And Elijah says, this will be the way we'll know who God really is. We're going to call upon the name of our God. And if you call upon your God and he answers, then go ahead, worship him. But if we call upon my God and he's the one who answers, then we're going to worship him. And so they get all the prophets. There's hundreds of prophets, and then there's just Elijah. They prepare their sacrifices, and then they begin to pray, and they begin to call. They begin to yell. They begin to ask. They begin to plead and do everything they can, and nothing happens. They then begin to cut themselves and hurt themselves, thinking somehow maybe this will arouse and, and, and get the gods to come to their, come to their defense and, and prove themselves. But as they called out, nothing happened. You know, there's still so many parts of the world that are worshiping, literally worshiping false gods and gods that have been made up in their own image. When I was in Africa years ago, we were digging wells with our young adults ministry here at Evangel, and we drove down a street, and on a corner of a street, there was a little stump where a tree had been cut down, and it looked almost like a little miniature totem pole or something. And it was only about this high, and it was cut, and it was this ugly-looking thing, church. I mean, it was just strange-looking. And it was, it was a tree stump, but then it was like a face carved into the tree stump, had this big mouth, and had all this kind of design. I said, what is that? They said, that's one of the gods that these people are worshiping. And the, the witch doctors are, are calling people to worship. And they, they would come, and they would pray, and they would cry out. But they said, but notice a few things the missionary said about, about this. They said, notice how big its mouth is. It was like disproportionately big. And they said, notice what it doesn't have. It doesn't have any arms or hands. It's all talk, but it doesn't really deliver. I said, wow. They said, yeah, they don't even realize it, but even the way they design it now, it shows like, yeah, it has a lot to say. It's intimidating, but there are no hands to deliver on the promises. Elijah, in his time, he was seeing that. All these prophets were saying all these things would happen, and nothing happened. And then Elijah takes the offering. He pours all kinds of water on it. I mean, they, they saturate it with water. And then he sits there, and he gets down, and he prays. And the prayer he prays isn't, hey, God, I'm really being embarrassed here. And, and everyone's looking at me, and I'm worried about my reputation, and, and i got to look good now, so come on, could you come and do something? He doesn't care how he looks. His prayer is, God, I want them to know that you are God. I want them to know that you are great. Look what he says in verse 37. Oh, Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know you are God, oh, Lord, and that you brought them back to yourself. And as he prayed that prayer, immediately, someone say immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, the dust. It even licked up the water from the trench. And the people saw it. And what did they say? Elijah's amazing. No. Wow, look at that. No. They fell on their face, the Bible says. And they said, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. I want to tell you something today. The mountains that God moves in your lives, he's moving them for a purpose that's so much bigger than your comfort. He's moving them for a purpose that's so much bigger than just what's going on in your life. He's moving mountains because he wants to establish his name, his glory, his presence, because he wants people to know him. 
When you see the miracles of Jesus, they happen, yes, for the person because he loved them and was moved with compassion for them. But those miracles also were connected to his greater purpose, to help people to see and know that he is Lord, that he is God, that he is good. And I want you to know that we have to pray as we pray and as we call upon the Lord, make sure that the deepest desire of our heart is that the Lord is going to be glorified in our lives. That he's going to be glorified. That if we're praying for a miracle, that we're praying for God to move, that in our prayer lists and our prayer requests, that we're pointing them towards him. Because I know this at the end of the day. I truly want it. And it's hard at times. It's tempting because we're flesh and blood. But I want God's will more than I want anything else, church family. Can you say that from the bottom of your heart today? Lord, I just want your will to be accomplished. I want your purposes to be performed through my life. Sometimes God will allow us to be uncomfortable because he's working out his plan in and through us. And I really believe God cares more about his calling on our lives than our comfort in our lives. Amen? So come on, we got to continue to pray. As we're praying, pray for your calling. Pray for the purpose God has for you. Pray for that. Just make sure that as we fill our prayer list, they don't, they're not so oversaturated with things that are going to make us comfortable. Because sometimes God will allow us to become uncomfortable. That's how he's going to move mountains. Elijah was pretty uncomfortable as he's standing there in front of hundreds of people calling down fire from heaven. But God met him because he lived to elevate the Lord. So that's the first thing, the elevation of God. Our hearts need to be continually postured that we are living to elevate God's will above our own plan. And as God moves, it's so important for you to know that as you pray and you see God work the miracle, to not get caught up there. I found it at times that we can look back and we can celebrate the goodness of the Lord in the past. It's so important. I've talked about this over and over again. Don't miss the goodness of God. Don't forget what he's done. But there's a tension you have to live in. Don't live in what God has done and stop looking for what God is going to do. There are times that we can live in the glory days of the past, but we need to have that same heart like Habakkuk said. He said, I've heard about what you've done in the past. I've heard about your fame of old, but Lord, I'm asking you to come and renew your word today. I want to see the same power I read about in Scripture operating here today, Lord God. I want to see the same power you met me with X years ago showing up today in my life. I don't want to stay at that one mountain. It's easy to camp places. It's easy to get camped down and just want to hunker down in the glory and presence of God. You know, James, the brother of Jesus, Peter and John, they were with Jesus when he went up on a mountain, if you remember. Jesus went up on a mountain, and he was transfigured, the Bible said. In this moment, he went up, and it was only three disciples he brought with him. And as they were there, the glory of God met them in a powerful way. It was this confirming moment in the life and ministry of Jesus where God was showing up and, and, and really um, just bestowing on his son what he would need as he was carrying out the ministry. And in this precious moment, the Bible said that as Jesus went up onto the mount and was praying, the disciples looked over, and he was talking to Moses, and he was talking to Elijah, who we're talking about today. Elijah lived a long time ago, but here he was, right in the presence of Jesus. And the, the disciples, so amazed by what they're seeing, don't know what to say. And literally, what they say in Mark chapter 9, Peter said, I'm so glad we were here to see this. You know, let's, let's just make some tents here. We'll make a tent for you, Jesus. We'll make a tent for Elijah. We'll make a tent for Moses. And this could just be like a memorial. We could just stay here. These disciples, they forgot all about the other nine people down at the foot of the hill. They didn't care about anything else. They're like, this is amazing. We could die right now. Everything we've prayed for has just happened. Moses is here. Elijah's here. Jesus is here. I don't want to go anywhere else. Maybe you've never seen a miracle like that in your life. 
But I promise you, there are going to be times where mountains move and you can become so comfortable just to stay there. Like, I, just can, I could just camp out here forever. But I promise you, God has more. Would you say more? More that he wants to do. Jesus wouldn't let them stay there. He said, we can't stay here. There's more. You know why? Because there was another mountain. There was another hill called Calvary that was waiting. And it wasn't as beautiful and glorified. And it wasn't something that filled the disciples with any excitement at all. But Jesus knew God's plan was about so much more than just what they were experiencing in that moment. That there'd be many more mountains that would fall. There'd be many more places that they had to go. And God says the same thing to us. That as he moves and as you lift him up, make sure you're following him. And how do we do that? How do we make sure we don't get stuck? That we don't just get stuck in the one mountain, the one place, but that we move on to the others. We have to be listening, church family. The Bible says in Deuteronomy, as I read it to you, said it's time to move on from this mountain. How do they know? Because the Bible says God said it. God said to the people, it's time to move on from this mountain. And so if we're going to be those that posture ourselves to move as God speaks, we have to have the second thing, ears to hear. Ears to hear. This is such a key phrase found in Scripture. You see, in the gospel, six times Jesus is speaking, and as he's speaking, people are listening, and they think they understand, but they really have no idea what he's saying. There's more that Jesus is saying. And here's what he follows up some of those teachings with. Let him who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. We fast forward to the book of Revelation. Jesus is speaking to the churches, and this is what he says even to us right now, church. He says, him who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. Him who has ears, let him hear. You know, we need to have ears that are not just tuned to the sound of the voice of others, the sound of the voice of our critics, the sound of the voice of those that will praise you. Some of us, we've so attuned our ears to the sounds of people and to their voice. And we spent such little time tuning our ears to what God is calling us to. Hear what the Spirit of God is saying, not what the crowds are saying. He said, let him who has ears, let him hear. We need to have ears to hear what the Spirit of God wants to say, what he wants to do, how he wants to move. So think about this with me as we go back to Elijah. Elijah called down fire from heaven. The fire of God fell. He proved himself faithful. They overthrew all the prophets. They, they killed them down in the valley, and now they were overthrown. God has been established. The people's hearts are turning back to him, those that have seen it. And Elijah could have been so content. I'm going to Disney World. I'm going somewhere. I've just seen the miraculous power of God. It's over. I mean, it was amazing what God had done. But what does Elijah do right after that? He turns and he says something so interesting. Verse 41, 1 Kings 18. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink because I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. This has been three and a half years. It hasn't rained. And what Elijah says right after this miracle, and as all the people are probably just amazed or worshiping God, all this happens to Ahab. He says, hey, go eat and drink because the storm is coming now. I can hear. You look in the sky, there's not a cloud to be seen. You look all around, you don't see anything, but he heard it before he ever saw it. He could hear in the spirit what God was about to bring about in the natural. He had his heart and his ears attuned to what God was wanting to say. He was not just focused on what he didn't see, he was focused on what God was saying in that moment. God was preparing them for it. Let him who has ears, let him hear. So Elijah, he was ready to move on to the next mountain. He had ears to hear what God was saying. He was tuned. One of our values as a church is we follow the prompt. 
Because here's what I believe with everything in my heart, that Jesus said he will not leave us alone, that he will send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. He leads us. He guides us. He said he will lead you into all truth. So how can we better move into the truth that God wants us to without hearing from the Spirit of God what he wants to say to us. And so we want to posture our lives in that way, that there will be times that the Lord wants to speak to your heart. He wants to speak to you and lead you and guide you, and we have to be surrendered and listening. Church, are you with me? When will he speak to me? He'll speak to me at times when I'm praying. He'll speak to me at times when I'm reading in the Word. He'll speak to me in times when I'm worshiping Him. He'll speak to me in times even when I'm busy with other things. But I want to tell you, there are times if I'm too busy with other things, I'm not hearing Him the same way. He has to literally roll up a bus or an 18-wheeler in front of me to get my attention. Are you with me? You know what I hear from Him the most? When When I've paused and I've leaned in to listen. Whenever it's spent time and made room to hear what he wants to say. That's why it's so important daily, regularly, are we taking time to say, God, what is it you want to say in this moment? And as you pray and as you see God answer prayers in your life, we can say, yes, amen, hallelujah, but it seemed like Elijah was praising God for what he did, but his ear was always open to what God wanted to do next. Have you ever done that? Have you seen God move and said, amen, Lord, but now that you've done this, what do you want to do next? What do you want to say next? What do you want to use this for, Lord God? As our ears are attuned in that way, God can begin to move us into some amazing things. The third thing that's so important, so we see that we need to have an elevation of God, ears to hear what the Spirit of God wants to say to us. Elijah said, I heard the sound of this mighty rainstorm coming. Third is we need earnest prayer, that we need to be earnestly in prayer. And this is something as a continual state of positioning and posturing our lives before God in prayer. One of our values as a church, I said, as we follow the prompt, another one is that we pray until something happens. Jesus taught his followers about persistence in prayer, how to model this very prayer life we see encapsulated in Elijah's story, that he was earnest in his prayer. James says this, the earnest prayer of a righteous person is powerful. It avails much more than we could ever imagine. And so with this idea of earnesty is persistence It's fervency. It's praying without ceasing. It's continually coming before the Lord. So let's look what happens in 1 Kings 18. Look at verse 42. It says, So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed down low to the ground, and he prayed with his face between his knees. So look here. King Ahab, he goes, he hears the word, he runs. He goes to eat. But Elijah, he climbs right back onto Mount Carmel. And he goes to the place of prayer. And he begins to pray and ask God to open the heavens and bring rain. And as he prayed, he waited on God. I want you to know, in your prayer times, there can be moments, just like we just heard about, that immediately, someone say immediately. Immediately, God moves in power. But there will be other times when it's not immediately, but it's eventually. Say eventually. If you had the choice between immediately and eventually, How many know you want immediately? I want immediately in everything, don't you? But there are times that God's going to move eventually because it's his timetable, it's his plan, it's his purpose. So we see that Elijah is praying. He prays for the first time. Look with me here. It says this, verse 43. Elijah prayed, then he said to his servant, go and look out towards the sea. And the servant went and looked, 
and returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. There are going to be times that we pray and we look and we see nothing. And what do we do in those times? Let's take this. Will we be those that are earnestly in prayer? Will we be those that earnestly pray and continue to press into the Lord? Because we see here what Elijah does is he patiently waits on God and seven times he prays and seven times he tells him to go and look again. How many of us give up well before the seventh time? How many of us grow weary? How many of us throw in the towel? Here's what the Bible teaches us to do. Psalm 17, 14. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. It takes courage to wait on God. You know that? It takes courage and bravery for you to continue to stand even when you see nothing moving and saying, I'm still standing upon this promise that God's going to move. I'm still asking God. I've asked him once. I've asked him twice. I've been praying and seeking him. And before long, that gets, that gets difficult. It gets tiring. It gets overwhelming. But you say, you know what? I'm not moving from this place because I believe God is God and he's going to move. And that's what Elijah's doing. He wouldn't even get up and check for himself. He wouldn't leave the place of prayer. He was just praying and seeking and calling upon the Lord. And as he did, this wasn't like a moment. It wasn't like, Pastor, come here. And, all right, God, move the mountain. You know, God, bring the rain. Go check. Comes back. Nate didn't do it. All right, come on, Lord, now. All right, go check again. It's, we're talking about someone tarrying, waiting on God in prayer. And then after a time when he felt a release, all right, go check again. Nothing. Okay, praying, leaning. Go check again. There's this time. Could you imagine what the servant is thinking? We don't get his commentary on this. But it's like, uh, okay, you said a rainstorm. I see nothing. Just like it's been for the last three and a half years, he's praying, he's patiently waiting on God. I promise you this, those that wait on the Lord are going to renew their strength. It may look like a sign of weakness that you're just standing and resting on God's promise. I promise you the Lord's strong and mighty. And he, he's, he favors that. He's looking for that. He's looking for those that have a perseverance and an earnesty to just run after him in prayer, to continue to cry out to him. God honors that. He rewards that. Those who fervently seek him, he honors their lives. And as we pray until something happens, God will move. There are some that I've been praying for and been praying for miracles for a long time. And some I've stood with in prayer and over seasons we prayed and prayed. And eventually God brought the breakthrough and we praise God for it. There are some that I've been praying with. We still haven't seen it yet, but I've told them, I said, every time we get to an altar, every time we're in the prayer meeting, come again. Let's continue to believe God. We're lifting our faith and trust in God. We're going to continue to ask, seek, and knock and pray until we see God move in some way. And we just call upon him. Church, we got to learn to develop that discipline in our lives to continue earnestly seeking him in prayer. And the final part here, and Pastor Rick, you can come on up, is we need to have expectancy in our hearts. Come on, say expectancy with me. Years ago, mid-2012, 2013, I would have to say it was probably 2013, we were feeling some of the same conviction around prayer that God has been birthing now among us, now that we're seeing it come to pass. But there were some years ago that we felt like, you know, we want to pray, we want to lean into God, we want to experience there's something that we feel like God wants to do more. And so I got invited to go to the Times Square prayer meeting, or the, the Brooklyn Tabernacle prayer meeting. And I remember we took our staff, our team, our pastors, and we said, let's just go to the prayer meeting some night and let's just pray and seek God for what he's doing at Evangel and let's just go and just sit in that environment. We'd heard such great things. And I remember we went in there and we prayed. And when we walked in, it was like we hit a wall of something different. 
among the people. Something that was so different, so beautiful, so good, but something we longed and we wanted. And I can remember that we were, we were trying to put words to it. And we were there, and it was, it was some years ago. And guess what? When we went again, not too long ago, we saw the same thing there. And we tried to put a word to it. We said, what is it that's happening there? What is it we're experiencing? It's in the atmosphere. And, and what, what we came out with, this word was, there was expectancy. That the people that had gathered, there were over a thousand or more of them that were there, the people that had gathered were expecting God to move in their midst. And in that moment, I was thinking, you know, there's a difference between coming and hoping God's going to maybe show up and do something. And when I come expecting that I know that I'm here to meet with God and that God's moving and that he's here with me. And this expectancy was something that, that I prayed for and longed for. And I want to tell you, church, when we come together and pray, and on this last Wednesday night, as we walked into the prayer meeting, do you want to know what it was ripe with? It was ripe with expectancy. There was an expectancy on God to move in the house because we had come ready. We were, we were knowing, God, we're here to meet with you, and we're trusting that you're going to do something in our midst powerful today. Expectancy goes a long way. Expectancy is a different kind of posture in our lives. It's not that we're telling God what to do, but we're expecting that when God shows up, he's going to do something. He's brought us together and he's working. And there's a, there's a sense in our hearts. There's an there's a, 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 a anticipation within us that we're ready to move as God moves. And so as that happens, a lot of beautiful things take place. But expectancy is so important in our prayer life that we pray expecting God to move, expecting mountains to move. Uh, look at what the psalmist says in Psalm 5, verse 3. Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. Come on, church family. Is there expectancy in your heart today that as you lift your request before God, that our God is a God who answers? who moves, who meets his people as they call on him. Because on the seventh time, as Elijah prayed and called the servant to go, he comes back and he said, I see a cloud like the size of a man's fist rising from the sea. For anyone else, for someone who is not expecting anything that day, for the person sitting on that sea fishing or whatever the case is, looks out and thinks, is that a smoke signal or a you know, is that, what is that, vapor? Is that some mist coming off the sea? What, what is that? And they, because they hadn't seen anything in three and a half years, they're not expecting anything. But when you're someone like Elijah, whose heart is expecting God to move at the first sign of a cloud, at the first sight of something so tiny, what does Elijah do? Elijah starts yelling. Elijah shouted, the Bible says, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb in your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop him. Could you imagine that this servant comes, hey, no, no, no cloud, no cloud, no cloud. Why well, see this little thing, it's kind of like a fist. Go run, tell him he's going to be drowned out if he doesn't hurry. It's like, really? Like, like really? Like the size of a man's fist. Elijah, see, he heard it before he ever saw it. He sees it before anyone else is going to see it because there's expectancy in his heart. Are you with me, church? I don't know if you're with me today. There's an expectancy that's meant to be in the heart of God's people. An expectancy that when we call upon him, he moves. An expectancy that as he begins to reveal himself, we don't wait for the whole picture, that we step out in faith as we see and sense the Lord moving in our midst. 
And as we do, we can run after the great things that God has. We can take hold of it and we can see God move and do great things. And as soon as the sky was black with clouds, the Bible says, a heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm and Ahab, Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. You know, whenever, whenever God begins to move, it comes quickly. And Elijah called it out. He saw it before anyone else could see it because there was an expectancy on God to move. We have to be willing to posture our lives as we pray to say, God, I'm expecting you to, do, to move, to show up, to do what only you can do in this situation. And when we elevate God, when we're doing it for his glory, when our ears are sensitive to what the Spirit of God wants to speak, whenever there's an earnesty in the way that we pray, that we're persevering in prayer, and there's an expectancy in our hearts that we're expecting God to show up, God can move mountains again and again and again. Amen? Come on, would you stand to your feet with me this morning? Would you close your eyes? Would you take a moment right now and would you just begin to lift up the Lord? Here's what I want us to do. Some of us, many of us, we have reason to praise God today. Some of you, you're living, walking, breathing miracle. God saved your life. God's rescued you. Some, God has set you free from addiction. Others, God has healed you in your body of disease. Others of you today, you've been saved by his grace. You don't know where you'd be. You might be dead if it weren't for God showing up in your life. Is anyone here that can say amen to any of that? If that's you today, here's what we're going to do. I want us just to begin to thank the Lord and praise him for what he's done in our lives. Come on, right now, would you just close your eyes? Would you lift your hands to heaven? Would you just begin to thank him? Would you make it personal? Would you begin to thank him specifically for what he's done in your life? So many of us, we have reason to praise God. Remember his goodness. Remember the mountains that he's moved in your life. Remember the provision he's brought into your life. Remember where he found you, where he's brought you from, where he's lifted you out of, how he set you in a new place. Place. Come on, just begin to recognize him right now and glorify his name. We thank you, Lord God, that you're good. We thank you that you're here, Lord God. We thank you that you're on the move, Lord God, in our lives. We thank you for the great things you've done in the past. Oh, Lord, and we're asking you today to come and do it again, Lord God. Our hearts are full of anticipation for you to do what only you can do. Thank you, Lord. Right now, as you're praying, I want you just to begin to ask the Lord to speak to you. Begin to even ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? Where do you want to lead me? What is it you're speaking to me at this hour? Come on, just begin to ask him right now just to speak into your heart. Begin to ask him to prompt you. Begin to ask him to nudge you. Begin to ask him to stir you. Some of you today, we're believing today is a day of miracle. Today is a day of breakthrough. Today is a day that God's been building to for so long. He's ready to move a mountain, even in your life right now. Listen to what he's speaking to you, even at this hour. Thank you, Lord. Speak to us, Lord God. Speak to our hearts, we pray, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. We're going to take a few moments to pray, church family, as we're in this posture of just seeking the Lord. Some of you, the Lord's nudging your heart. You know, there was a word that God gave in our first service, and I, I could just feel the Lord resting it again on my heart right now that there's some you've been wrestling with God, you've been waiting on him for a miracle, you've been asking him for so long, crying out to him. And we just believe that today is ripe. It's a ripe moment in God's presence for him to come and do what only he can do. And maybe it's been a long time coming, maybe it's been days, weeks, decades, but let's come together and can we believe God to do the impossible in our midst today?